Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to answer the top four frequently asked questions that I get. They're very good questions. I'm really looking forward to diving into those. But before I do that, I just wanted to remind you that I am hosting a dog communication webinar coming up on Saturday, February 17th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And I'm going to be diving into all things dog communication dog play, dog sharing space. So if you are someone who has a multi-dog household, maybe you take your dog to the dog park frequently, maybe you are also a dog trainer and you'd like to deepen your knowledge and understanding of dog communication, it's really good. I'm it's it's been really such a delight to put the whole presentation together and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you all. So You can learn more about that in the link in the show notes. So let's go ahead and jump into frequently asked question number one. So this question is asked in several different contexts. And really the overarching question is, but are we actually reinforcing the behavior we don't like? So I want to give you an example of this behavior. So The question came up recently in an in-person session, right? I have some lovely clients. They have a lovely little dog. And the dog can be a little reactive at the front window, right? Barking at people walking by and things of that nature. And what they've been doing is just calling the dog away from the window and giving her a treat when she comes away from the window. And the question was, but are we reinforcing the barking? Which is honestly a really good question, right? One that we can like look at and evaluate quite effectively. So when we're looking at answering that question, I want to give you just a few things to consider. So one, when we are positively reinforcing a behavior, the marker word helps bridge the gap between the time the dog has performed the behavior and the time it takes to get them the positive reinforcement. All right. But generally speaking, any behavior that has happened within three seconds of getting the reinforcement is from a black and white standpoint, the behavior that we are positively reinforcing. All right. So if we're talking about the example of the dog is barking at the front window, they call the dog away, the dog comes over, the dog gets positively reinforced. Technically, they're reinforcing the dog for coming to them. Right. So in that sequence, we are not reinforcing barking. We're actually reinforcing the action of coming back to the guardian. Okay. And when I say positively reinforce, we have to make sure that whatever's happening when they show up, they actually perceive as rewarding. Right. So in this circumstance, this dog is happy to take cookies. Um, But if the dog was coming over and getting pets and praise, we have to make sure that that is actually reinforcing for the dog. If you are a longtime listener, you have heard me talk about reinforcement in so many different ways. So if you are interested in learning more about that, check out some of the previous episodes because I've gone into a lot of detail about 
what can actually count as a positive reinforcement for your dogs. And we'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. Okay. So when we're talking about behaviors that we are actually reinforcing, when we look at, you know, the black and white lens, it's basically any behavior that happens within a couple of seconds of earning the food reinforcement or whatever reinforcement you're using. But from a little bit wider lens, we do have to acknowledge that we'd sometimes start to create unintentional behavior chains. And that's where I think that sometimes it can be a little problematic. So the to go back to the example that I was talking about, the dog will come away from the window, get positively reinforced, but then oftentimes the dog will go back to the window and go bark again right? And the owner was feeling like, but aren't we just reinforcing her for coming away and barking and then going back? Which is a totally valid question, right? So what I suggested, right, to my clients in this circumstance was to call her away and still reinforce her for coming away because that's a very big decision on that dog's part to be like, all right, I am not going to yell at the dog walking by. I'm going to disengage. I'm going to come back to you. That's still a very valuable behavior. So I want to make sure that the dog is still getting a good payout for that. But then we're going to ask her to go and do another behavior to prevent her from going back to the window and barking again. So oftentimes what we have to do is follow up and tell the dog something that they can do in place of what we don't want them to do, right? And in this circumstance, the dog already has a really strong, um, what we call stationing, right? Go lay down on a specific spot. And she did that, right? And she got reinforced there. So when we're looking at what we're actually reinforcing in the moment, right? Whatever behavior happened within a couple of seconds, but then oftentimes we have to follow up, right? We can't necessarily just be like, okay, cool. I reinforced you for coming away from the window, especially if there's still a dog walking by, which I know that many of my clients find frustrating, right? Because they just want it to be an easy solution, but welcome to the world. Okay. There's no like immediate easy solutions that aren't going to take some effort on your part, right? And these clients are amazing. They took everything I had to say to heart and they've been putting it in place and they're really making super lovely progress. So, you know, the frequently asked question of like, aren't we reinforcing the barking? Technically, no, right? So I want to give you another example. And this is something that the internet likes to go absolutely crazy over is many of you who follow me on Instagram, you know that I post a lot of reactive reels and it's usually about actively training and doing behavior modification. And something that happens a lot is people will see the video, right? Which is often a dog is looking at a dog in the distance and they're getting treats for just looking, Um, maybe they are pulling a little bit, maybe they are whining a little bit. And oftentimes people are like, well, you're just reinforcing the whining. You're not a very good trainer, which, you know, the internet likes to tell me on the regular. Thankfully, I don't take it to heart. But something that's really important to understand is some of the context and some of the nuance, especially when it comes to reactivity and especially when it comes to behavior modification, because what some people don't understand is that they see a 30 second clip and it's really easy for them to jump in and be like, like blah, 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 you know nothing. But the truth is that I know a lot or I wouldn't keep doing this. And what's happening is that sometimes we have to reinforce small baby steps towards the final product, even if it isn't perfect. 
And this is so hard for people to understand because all they see is these like quote unquote before and after videos where it's like the dog was lunging and barking and then 30 seconds later they're not lunging and barking. And it's like what we have to understand is that one, that's just good marketing, not the actual truth of what's happening. And two, if a dog has a history of lunging and barking like a totally crazy lunatic and they can stand there and maybe whine a little bit, that is huge progress in decreasing the overall intensity of their reactivity. And this is something that people just like, they want it to be all or nothing, right? Either they're reacting or they're not reacting. And you know, I hear you on that. That would be great. But when we're talking about a a really well thought out behavior modification plan, it's not a 30 second clip of the dog is lunging and barking and 30 seconds later, they're not lunging and barking. Sometimes it's this in between area. And while we may technically be reinforcing a little bit of higher arousal, what we're reinforcing is actually an improvement if, if we did nothing. Right. And this is something that as I I say this out loud, I'm like, that would make a really good video. So maybe if you (laughs) follow me on Instagram, you'll see that reel come up in the future. But it's just it's really important to remember that we may be reinforcing a a halfway behavior, so to speak. Right. We may be reinforcing something that isn't the final goal, but it's going to get us to the final goal. So if you are listening to this and you're working through some behavior modification with your dog and whatever example, I want you to just really internalize that slow and steady progress is what wins when we're talking about modifying behavior. Because oftentimes the reactive dogs that I am working with are very, very complicated emotional creatures. And if we just expected them to say absolutely nothing and not pull at all, we would have nothing to reinforce, right? And that would be ridiculous. I'd be setting the guardian up for failure. I'd be setting the dog up for failure. So it's really important to remember that sometimes we are reinforcing in between behaviors. We're reinforcing halfway their behaviors. And that is a really important part of a lot of effective behavior modification plans, right? And even when we're not modifying behavior. We're not trying to change how a dog feels emotionally, like a recall, for example, right? If you call the dog and they don't show up immediately and they don't come to you immediately, but then they do come within a couple of seconds, that's still a reinforceable behavior because they did still show up, right? And I think that this is just, it's something that our little instant gratification brains have a really hard time wrapping our minds around. And I just want you to know that reinforcing halfway behaviors or in-between behaviors, you're on the right track. You're totally on the right track, okay? So there you go. To recap, frequently asked question number one, are we reinforcing the unwanted behavior? Now you have more insight into that. So the second question that I get very, very frequently is when can we stop using reinforcements in training? And the answer is never, obviously, which is so hard for so many people to understand because they just want to be like, no, we did six weeks of training and that's the end. And like, no, that's that's not how it works. Your dog is always learning. They're always evolving. And if you don't maintain reinforcement in the behavior, you're going to lose fluency of that behavior, 
right? You would not keep going to work if they didn't keep paying you. You would not keep practicing certain behaviors if there wasn't a certain reinforcement in that behavior. And a lot of times when I'm working with clients and we're kind of fresh, the dog has an unfortunately long history of practicing a lot of not so desirable behavior. And my clients, you know, I'll be honest. Most of my clients are extraordinary. Okay. All of you who, who show up to me and most of the time you all are amazing, but I still do get, you know, sometimes the, the lay person, so to speak, who is, you know, not really in the dog training world and they don't really understand. But it's like, if your dog has this long history of practicing all these behaviors you don't like, and all you do is like a couple weeks of reinforcement, you're just going to go right back to where you were in the first place, right? If you don't continue to reinforce desirable behavior, your dog is just going to revert back to their old patterns of behavior. And think about that. That's something that you do also. Okay. All of us do that. So we're talking about fading the food or fading the reinforcements, there's a couple of things that I want you to consider. And I've talked about this in depth in a lot of episodes. One episode that comes to mind is called, uh, it's entitled Holding Our Dogs Accountable. And I think that you will find that very, very enlightening. But when we're talking about fading the reinforcement, we are never going to completely fade reinforcement for desirable behavior. We are never going to do that. Okay, so just take that out of your mind. But what we may do is decrease how frequently we're reinforcing. We may mix up the type of reinforcement we are using. And doing a combination of those two things is really the sustainability of your life with your dog, right? And it's, I remember being at a dog training conference once and, uh, the, there was, you know, a slide on the screen and it said, training is a journey, not a fixed point in time. And if, if there was one thing that you could take away from this episode, it would be that, right? Training is a journey. It is not a fixed point in time. Okay. Like doing six weeks of training is not the end right? You have to maintain all of the training that you're doing with your dog. Does it get easier? Yes. Can your dog perform it more reliably with less reinforcement? Of course they can, but we cannot completely take away the reinforcement because if we do that, our dogs are going to stop reliably performing the behaviors we want them to perform, right? And, you know, something that I think can be a little daunting at first for some of my clients is like, oh my God, I have to wear a treat pouch for forever. And it's like, yeah, you can wear a fanny pack and your phone can be in there and you can have poop bags and you can have treats. Like to me, it just is not that complicated or that difficult to imagine my life like that. Right. And I understand that, you know, not everyone has the same fashion sense and maybe not everyone wants to wear a treat pouch for forever. Just put a couple treats in your pocket. Okay. Like having a few treats in your pocket, if that can continue to maintain the bond and trust and training you have with your dog, like why would we not do that? That's just crazy to me. And let's be honest, our dogs have to eat every day anyways. So we might as well utilize some of those food reinforcements to reinforce behaviors we want to see more frequently. Right. But the overarching theme here, right, is that you can never just completely fade reinforcement, right? You can decrease how frequently you reinforce. You can experiment with different types of reinforcements, but we're never going to stop that because if we stop reinforcing, the behavior is going to decrease in fluency. 
And that's not good, right? Don't put all this time and energy in just to like watch it go away. And I will say that sometimes, right, many of my clients, I'm going to be honest, like almost all of my clients, they've already done a lot of lovely training with their dogs by the time I show up, right? Like it is very rare that I show up and the dog has absolutely no training at all. And something that a lot of my clients find fascinating is that a lot of them, you know, did training basic manners and stuff when they were young and maybe the dog's a little bit older now and they're like, yeah, it's been a long time. And it's pretty incredible when you introduce a little bit more reinforcement, how you can kind of reignite all the things you taught your dog and all the things that they understood, right? So it doesn't go away, but if we want to continue to see this upward trajectory of the dog is responding more, they're doing things more consistently, we can't fade reinforcement. This is not the way that it works, right? And sometimes reinforcement may not be food. Sometimes reinforcement is other things. I love creative reinforcement, but we can't get rid of it completely, right? This is not the way that it works, all right? So that was frequently asked question number two. So frequently asked question number three, uh, and this comes up a lot, a lot. And the frequently asked question is, why does my dog not respond when I know that they know what I am asking them? And this is a pretty loaded question. This is a pretty loaded question, right? Because really the question is, it's coming from a a relatively negative lens because people are annoyed. Like, I know you know what I want and you're not doing it and why aren't you doing it? And what I like to do is encourage my clients to reframe that question, right? What is it about what we're asking the dog right now that the dog isn't feeling motivated to respond to, right? And this is something that oftentimes I get eye rolls when I ask my, when I encourage my clients to think differently about it because they're like, you're the dog trainer. You're here. You're supposed to make it so that the dog doesn't do the thing I don't want them to do and that they listen all the time. And I'm like, listen, I'm not here to create a robot. Okay. Because I do not believe in making dogs do things just because the owner says so. If the owner has not done their due diligence to make it worth their while the dog's while to to perform the behavior and I will be honest oftentimes my clients are asking kind of outrageous things of their dog right like when my dog is off leash and there's a thousand geese why won't they come when I call them when they'll come in from the backyard and you know when we look at that lens like the reason they're not responding is because you didn't adequately prepare them for the distraction level of the recall that you asked for Right. And this is one that like, I love you all. And you know that I want to be your cheerleader and I want to support you. But sometimes I got to just, you know, I got to do a little gentle calling clients in and being like, you didn't adequately prepare the dog, right? Like asking your dog to come in from the backyard or come away from chasing geese is hugely different, hugely different in motivation. Well, I was saying come and they know what I mean. Well, Yeah, but if you call your dog to come to you and there's all these other things for them to choose, like, of course, they're not going to choose you because you didn't adequately prepare them for that level of distraction. 
Right. And that is something that comes up a lot is just, you know, being honest about like, you think the dog knows a behavior, but you training that behavior for two weeks doesn't mean that they actually know it. Think about teaching yourself a new behavior, practicing a new behavior. It takes way longer than just a couple repetitions for the dog to do it proficiently. Right. And I think that a lot of other things kind of get mixed into that because there's, you know, pressures of like you let the dog off leash and then it chased geese and all these people saw your dog blow you off. And that creates frustration. And then you want to be mad at the dog when really you should probably be mad at yourself because you didn't adequately prepare your dog for what you asked of them. Right. And like, I've been there. Okay. Like my dogs do ridiculous stuff in front of an audience all the time. And I feel you, it can be frustrating, but ultimately it's not my dog's fault because, you know, of other conditions or I didn't adequately prepare them for what I was asking them. And that's, you know, the question of like, why does my dog not respond? If I know they know the behavior, really the answer is, is that they don't know, quote unquote, know the behavior as well as you think they do. And while I think that, you know, in my dog training career, I definitely remember learning, like, especially early on, like, the concept of, like, dogs are not good generalizers, right? Like, they're not good at generalizing, like, you know, this behavior means this under these conditions, but it means the same thing under loads and loads of other conditions. And, well, I think that as I've grown in my career, I think that there are circumstances where dogs are actually great generalizers, but I think it's a good concept to remember that like when you're training a behavior, you need to make sure that you were proofing it so that the dog does actually know it and they can adequately respond when you need them to. That brings up another podcast episode that I did entitled Proofing, (laughs) entitled Proofing that you can listen to, right? So if your dog is not responding when you know they know the behavior, the proofing episode is what you need to listen to. Frequently asked question number four. This comes up a lot because I work with a lot of families, a lot of couples, a lot of partnerships. And the question is, why does the dog respond so much differently for different people? Usually the different owners. And this is something that baffles a lot of my my clients. And I will be honest, in all of my years, it causes tension and friction in relationships for sure. And I will be honest, most of the time it's the male guardian, love you all, but I'm, you know, love you all, but I'm throwing you under the bus a little bit. Usually it's the male guardian being like, well, the dog doesn't do that for me. And, you know, trying to make it like they're doing something better and the dog just doesn't respond for them. So it must be the female owner's part. I will be honest, I try not to insert myself in uh, (laughs) disputes between partners, but I will be clear if I really think that like, you know, the male owner is trying to throw the other, the female owner under the bus, or it does happen vice versa, not always. So to answer the question, why a dog, your dog might behave differently for you or your partner, it's actually pretty straightforward when you think about it, right? One, we're, we're all different. Okay. Like I don't, I don't do exactly the same things that my husband does with the dogs. My husband doesn't do exactly the same things that I do with the dogs. So there's always going to be a natural variation in how the dog responds to you because you and your partner are different people, right? Like that's just always going to happen. In my experience, there's often a stronger reinforcement history with one 
owner versus the other owner, right? Sometimes that's just because of work schedules. Sometimes that's just because of commitment. Sometimes that's just kind of because of motivation. And that's just the nature of it. Sometimes the dog just has a stronger reinforcement history with one guardian than the other, right? And this is something that happens in my relationship with my husband all the time because I'm a professional dog trainer. I spend a lot of time with doing things, taking the dog's places, and they will respond a lot better to certain cues with me genuinely because they just have more practice, right? My husband is a teacher. He works a lot, so he just doesn't have as much time to devote to the dogs and that's a big reason why there's just a change in response is just because the dogs have spent more time with me they've had more practice doing the things I wanted them to do right so oftentimes the difference in response to different owners is usually just because one owner has been spending more time doing the training than the other Right. And that doesn't mean that we can't still see great response from the owner who hasn't been able to do as much training. But it makes plenty of sense that if you spend more time with the dog and you've been doing more of the training, of course, they're going to respond more to you. Right. Something else that comes up is dogs who can be more prone to being protective of people. And oftentimes they are more protective of the person that they spend the most time with. Right. And this happens a ton in the leash reactivity cases that I work on is that sometimes the owner who does more of the training, the dog can be more reactive with them. And that's for a couple of reasons. Right. So one is because the dog feels the most comfortable with that owner. So we're seeing more of the behavior, which can be really hard and really, let's be honest, kind of annoying. Right. Like, oh, I'm so glad that you feel the most comfortable with me, that it's harder for me to walk you than the other ones. And this is something that comes up a lot. Right. And like especially dogs who can be reactive, nervous, fearful, is that if they don't feel as comfortable with you, they're probably going to be slightly shut down and in turn not displaying as much behavior, which can be really frustrating, right? Because at first they're like, you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of, you know, ego tied around the dog's behavior. And, you know, usually the owner who is like, well, he's not as reactive with me when I, you know, gently help them understand like, yeah, I think it's just because they're a little bit less comfortable with you. It can be annoying, right? Because they want to believe that like what they're doing is making so that the dog is better when in fact, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. And, you know, there's so much of this, right? Like, especially on the the social media, right, of these these quote unquote trainers like taking the leash from the guardian and like, look, the dog does this for me. And what infuriates me about that is that like when you hire me to work with you, it does not matter if the dog can perform for me. That's irrelevant. My job and my duty to you is making sure that you have the skill set because you own the dog. You own the dog. You have to be able to do the work. And usually, right, in some of these like viral videos, you'll see the quote unquote trainer will take the leash and be like, see, problem solved. It's you. It's all your fault. And that's ridiculous because what's really happening is that the dog is like, what the hell is going on? I'm feeling so uncomfortable. And then they're just shutting down and they're not actually behaving. Right. So for those of you who have been putting the time and energy in and you feel like, oh, my God, why is the dog so much better for my partner? Just ask yourself, are they actually better or is it a lack of behavior and a lack of confidence 
that's getting equated to quote unquote better. Right. And, you know, there's so many variables. Another episode that I did entitled, Are You Causing Your Dog's Anxiety? I think can offer some more insight into this, right? So if you're listening to this frequently asked question and you're like, this is me. Oh my gosh, my dog is so much different from my partner. Listen to that episode because I think that that will give you some more in-depth understanding of maybe why your dog is behaving so much differently. Who you are, how you show up, how you physically carry yourself, your confidence, all of those things absolutely have an impact, okay? But it's not everything. It's not everything. It's not this magical, like, the dog is totally fine for one owner and then the other owner, you know, it's all their fault. And that's why the dog is so bad. That never happens, really. (laughs) It's usually the opposite. It's usually the person who's been putting the most time and energy is seeing more of the behavior. And that's just because the dog feels more comfortable with you. And, you know, you're seeing more behavior. All right, everyone, those are the top four frequently asked questions that I get. I would be happy to do another frequently asked question. If you have a specific question for me, you can head to disorderlydogs.com. You can scroll down um, to the quote unquote topic suggestion box and you can leave it in there. And I'd be happy to answer that in the next episode of Disorderly Dogs. So everyone, I have another episode coming at you entitled Societal Expectations. Ooh. It's going to be a good one. I'm super looking forward to it. But like I was saying, if you have questions, if you have a podcast topic idea, please let me know at disorderlydogs.com. Everyone, have a beautiful weekend. Smooch those puppies for me. And I am already looking forward to the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.